This message comes from Capital One. Your business faces unique challenges and opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services backed by the strength of a top 10 commercial bank. Visit CapitalOne.com slash commercial. Member FDIC. A warning. This episode includes explicit language. Hey, y'all. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. If I asked you to think of the biggest R-rated buddy comedies, Superbad or The Hangover may come to mind. And more recently, there have been new entries like Bridesmaids and Girls Trip to shake things up. But last weekend, I think we got one more film for the canon. Joyride. You're a drug dealer now, We can't get caught with drugs in China. You gonna plug or you gonna play? Joyride follows the story of Audrey, a young Asian-American woman who takes a business trip to China with three of her friends who are down for anything. It's raunchy and it's heartfelt and they come across a lot more than they bargained for. <laughs> That's lead actress Ashley Park, who along with her castmates, Stephanie Hsu, Sherry Cola, and Sabrina Wu, had my sides splitting for the entire roller coaster that is Joyride. Today, Ashley and I chat about the human urge in all of us to be raunchy and how Joyride challenges us to expand our idea of who's allowed to indulge that raunchiness on screen. Ashley Park, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, we're so thrilled. We're talking about Joyride today. The movie is raunchy and it's so much fun. And it's like a fantastic entry into the R-rated, raunchy, girls, blockbuster comedy genre. The thing where you go to see it with your friends and you just like laugh so hard you're crying in the theater. How do you feel being a part of this canon? And what do you feel like Joyride is doing differently? Just first and foremost, like deeply grateful. I just love this genre of comedy so much. And it's also a genre that I just really never thought that I would have access to being a part of, especially as a protagonist. Hmm. Asian American faces have had the opportunity yet in this genre in particular, this like rated R raunchy comedy was to be the butt of the joke, Hmm. right? Hmm. And for me, I just was like, if that's going to be what my opportunity is in this genre, I'd rather just observe what Joyride does differently, mostly in part because Adele Lim, Cherry Chava Prabhat Dumrong, and Teresa Shao who created it and wrote and directed it. I think having Asian women behind the lens and through their perspective and lens really changes the dynamic. Instead of us being the butts of the joke, this is something Stephanie Shu said, we are four butts and a lot of jokes, you know? (laughs) And I think it's the first of its kind in this genre where really we get to Mm. laugh at ourselves and demand that people see us as messy and chaotic and multidimensional and the full chasm of who we are. And I think the movie does that. Mm. It's definitely the funniest script I've read in like years. I wonder what, what joke from the script most shocked you when you read it? I think there wasn't a joke because uh-huh. even when we watched the final version, we didn't know what joke was going to be in there. There were so many possibilities. We did like 10 versions, 10 alternative lines oh, wow. for like every single joke. So you were surprised when you saw the film. Oh, yeah. The South by Southwest was the first time I was like, so what made the final cut? Or maybe when we were doing ADR, you know? <laughs> but when I first saw a version of the script, I think they've been through like 80 iterations of it. So oh, it's very wow. different. And at the time, it was still called Joy F*** Club. I don't know if I can say that on <laughs> NPR, but... So 
So. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> did you oh did you God. not know that? Yeah, I, I think you're allowed to say, but I think, I mean, for a variety of reasons we changed it, but as soon as I read that first cover of the page, I was like, oh my gosh, they're going for it. As funny as the movie is, and as much as I was like laughing out loud, there's also like, there's some sexy moments in here. Like I have to know more about this threesome that you have in the film, which I recently learned was your first sex scene. Oh God, It manages yeah. to be both hot and funny. Like, how did you play up the comedy of this menage a trois while still keeping it sexy and fun? Oh, gosh. I'm so... Well, thank you. That's the best. I really didn't tell anybody about that <laughs> in my life. I was like, they'll see it. But I, I was hoping because the first script I received when I auditioned was uh-huh. I was the only character who didn't get naked. Really? You know? And then along the way, in all the iterations, I became the only character who, who gets, gets very, naked. very right. naked. Right, right, right. <laughs> It does serve the purpose of comedy mm-hmm. and the story. Yeah, you oh, know? absolutely. But for me, I don't think I would have been as comfortable if it wasn't for having mm-hmm. Cherry Teresa and Nadal because there wasn't a moment when I thought that my body would just be used as a prop. Mm. Like it was always like the character of Audrey kind of in control because especially Asian women, especially in sex scenes in Hollywood have been so right. like fetishized and exoticized right. for years and years. And so it's kind of like, taking it back and being like, we're going to go super far, but also like it's on our terms and reclaiming that. You know, something that I noticed that sets this film apart from sort of like the rest of the raunchy girls blockbuster canon is the central struggle of Audrey trying to define her identity for herself. Mm -hmm. So like while each of her three friends have varied and strong relationships to their Asian American identity, Audrey is still trying to figure out where she fits in in the world. And some of that is her being, you know, an adoptee raised by white parents. Through the film, I understood it. Some of that also is just like being an Asian American person, period, like living in a mostly white place. 1,000%. And I wonder, like, how did your personal experiences shape how you played Audrey? I think I felt a lot of similarities, not similarities, but first of all, like, I think I I had just realized what code switching was. And I was like, Mm. wait, that was my survival tactic since the age of like five. I'm being candid right now, but like Mm -hmm. realizing how much I've made it a priority to make every person around me comfortable and accommodate mm. them. And especially in the world that I grew up in, in the world that I was working in, those happen to all be white people. <laughs> and I say it with care because these are people that I love and I work with and I've learned from, you know, but mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. just realized Audrey has no intention of, she's not like, oh, I hate being Asian or oh, I hate being adopted or anything right. like that. And she's not like, I must go to China to find myself. But I think one of the Things I'm really happy made it into the movie is when Audrey is putting on the traditional Chinese outfit and she's kind of talking to herself. And when she said, you know, I never thought about if I grew up with people the way everyone looked like me, because then would I not have just been the Asian girl? What Could I just be like the funny girl or the nice girl? Or would I be known for mm-hmm. different qualities? I think other people have felt this way. It's like if someone forgot that I was Asian, if they went, oh my gosh, oh, I forget that you're Asian. I was like, yes. I was like, that means they're seeing my full insides and they're seeing me as a person because they're not seeing me as Asian. And I think that what Audrey realizes and what I realized in the process was, oh my gosh, there's any shame or apology or feeling like being associated with who Mm. I am puts me in a box. Mm. Like now I I demand and need people to see my full person, Mm -hmm. but also not forget that I'm Asian. Mm. You know, that's so necessary. So I don't think I realized how white I was 
as Ashley until uh-huh. like a lot of the stuff that I made it into the movie that's like stuff that happened in real life that's like just me one time Sherry was like Lynn Sanity and I was like Lynn Manuel Miranda he goes you know him and no. they're like oh my god Ashley like you know who Jimmy Lynn was oh I just god. wasn't thinking you know because I'm so in like the yeah. Broadway world but it wasn't your first association to understand like Lynn Sanity right yeah I was like, well, no, it's just because musical theater. They're like, yeah, but musical theater is actually very white. (laughs) Coming up, Ashley celebrates the messiness of her Joyride character, Audrey. And we get the scoop on how Cardi B's WAP made its way into Joyride's most climactic scene. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. This message comes from the BBC with Where to Be a Woman. Join hosts Sachi Cole and Sophia Smith-Gaylor to find out where in the world women can live their best lives. Search for Where to Be a Woman from BBC Podcasts. In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, going back to the comedy aspect, you've obviously proven your comedy chops. Roles like Mindy and Emily in Paris and Gretchen Wieners and the Mean Girls musical, but Joyride is so different in its approach from either of those two productions. It also makes me think of just even like who's allowed to be raunchy and who's allowed to make certain types of jokes, you know? Yeah. I love Superbad as much as the next gal. I saw that the Friday it came out, like uh, the Friday it came out, like back in 2007. I feel like that film and like Seth Rogen and a lot of his colleagues, it's like the, that's very much within the vein of like who's expected to and gets to always make these sorts of jokes. And I think that like- what Joyride does really well and does differently is it it kind of like turns the myth on its head that, you know, women, especially Asian women, are submissive or meant to be acted upon. Or polished. Or polished. Yeah. Well, that's what I think that really interested me in this. And also, I think also in Beef as well on Netflix and especially like me and Ali's characters in that. Yes. What I realized was that I'm actually so interested in playing flawed and messy characters. That's what we see in comedies. That's what we're interested in, is seeing these messes of characters Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of figure it out. And that's what we relate to. But I don't think Asian (laughs) women have gotten a chance to play these kinds of characters because they're usually not the leads. And that means usually when you play someone messy, Hmm. you have room to grow. You have an arc, a character arc Mm. in the story, you know? Yeah. I, I noticed that you sing in so many of your roles. And in Joyride, I loved the WAP remix that yeah. you all did during a crucial moment in the film 
where you were all dressed up as K-pop stars for a reason that people understand when they see it. WAP is a song that is cherished for its nastiness. And this movie, I think, will be cherished for its nastiness. What is satisfying about being dirty in this way? And why is it important to you? I think oftentimes writers will write their ideal kind of song in a script and then you either can't get the rights or it doesn't work anymore or something. And Adele wrote Megan and Cardi B a letter and was like, the way that you guys reclaimed your sexuality with this and you empowered yourselves with this song, you dug into the nasty and you enjoyed it and everybody else did too, but on your terms. We would love to repurpose this song with that as inspiration do this for Asian women. Mm. And the fact that they both were like, yes, power to you, go at it. Here's our blessing. I cannot wait for them to watch this movie because like that's really a climactic moment. And also like who knew that we would go into a full-on music video (laughs) like three quarters of the way through. When I did King and I on Broadway, our director Bart Shear said something that stuck with me, which is if you've done your storytelling correctly and the audience is on board, there's this magic moment three quarters of the way through a story where you can just kind of do whatever you want. Mm. I'm excited for audiences to see this film, not just because it's like laugh out loud funny and it has a really beautiful personal identity arc, but also like with the raunch, with all of like the nastiness in it. I don't know. We come into this world in a raunchy way. Oh my God. <laughs> when you really wait, think about that, it. It's and actually- it's the most. <laughs> I mean, we kind of do. We come into this world in a raunchy way. And it's kind of the most human animal thing to be gross. It's so true. Look, I mean, if you really think about it. I actually love that. I'm going to, I mean, like the fact I'm using that. Go for it. I'll quote you on it. But it's like, we're just getting back to our roots. All of us. We really get nasty. We're getting back to our roots. I just love that. The fact that childbirth is honestly like the most miraculous (laughs) and probably like that, you know. I feel like we spend so much time in our lives trying to fight being gross. We came from fluids and a sack. Like, I don't know what to say. And I feel like it's good for us as human beings to connect with that. And I definitely think that a lot of elements of this film tap into it. So congratulations. And thank you so much for joining us today. This was so much fun. Thank you. Thanks for the chat. That was Ashley Park. Her movie Joyride is in theaters now. Hey, it's been a minute. My name is Jeff from Miami. I was sending a message because I really wanted to talk about the show The Bear. Everyone loves the show. And on everything I love, it's so damn stressful. I can't binge watch that show for the life of me. And I was really interested if you could do an episode or a segment to just talk about, you know, why do we love very stressful things that stress us the hell out? And, you know, why that makes for good TV. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. First of all, Jeff from Miami, thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. So, I mean, I just have to say, you and I are absolutely in the same boat. I love it. But this show, these people are stressing me out. But to answer your question, why do we like to watch things that stress us out? (sighs) I'll say this. I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. But I think it's because... The same reason that we like to watch like horror movies or thrillers, 
there's something very human about wanting the adrenaline rush of fear or anxiety and all that that can bring, but being able to have it in controlled doses. If the episode gets too intense, you can always pause it, but you can't always pause like an argument with your partner. You can't necessarily pause your firing from your job. There's all of these high stress situations that you can't escape from in real life. There's something kind of comforting about the fact that we can stop it whenever we want. Maybe it gives us an illusion of control. I have no idea. All I know is I'm sitting there right with you watching the bear, stressed, sweating, screaming, crying, throwing up, and keeping that little Roku remote handy just in case the screams of Jamie Lee Curtis get to be a little too much for me. (laughs) So those are my thoughts. But thank you so, so much for your question, Jeff. I really appreciate it. And to all of you listening, I want to know what you want to talk about too. Anything from the biggest pop culture story of the week to the newest bangers to the TV show everyone is talking about. If there's something everyone in your world is going on about, record a quick voice memo with your first name, location, and the topic and send it to ibam at npr.org. That's I-B-A-M at N-P-R dot org. I cannot wait to hear what you want to talk about. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Liam McBain. Alexis Williams. Barton Girdwood. Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Engineering support came from Neil T. Volt. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right. That's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Learning. IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit NPR.org elections.